built around the concept that you can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Well, remember, you were born to win. But in order to be the winner you were born to be, you got to plan to win, you got to prepare to win, and then and only then can you legitimately expect to win. You see, with integrity, you do the right thing. When you do the right thing, there's no guilt. With integrity, you have nothing to fear because you have nothing to hide. See, folks, failure is an event. It's not a person. Yesterday really did end last night. Today is a brand new day, and it's yours. Friends, welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and it is my unique privilege to bring today's profound message to you. The Ziggler Show is founded on what Zig Ziggler, the world's most prolific motivator, devoted his life to, inspiring your true performance. You can have the best tools, uh, resources, and even opportunity, but unless you are truly inspired, you'll be hopeful but remain where you are. What is the definition of inspired? Listen to this. To influence or animate with an idea or purpose. Did you hear that? Animate with a purpose. If you want to take action, you have to know and be motivated by true purpose. That's deep, folks, and it is why you are here. Let's dig in and change your world so you can change this world. We need all you've got to offer. Desperately. Hey, Ziegler audience, thank you for being with me today. And wow, I've got to give special thanks to all who have been leaving us the raving iTunes reviews in just the past couple of days in response to the two shows on marriage I did with my wife, Terry. We took a clip from Zig on marriage, one of his favorite topics, and we broke it down and you have responded that you like it. Uh, thanks for blessing us, but I'm mainly just grateful that the content was of value. Uh, thanks even to the two-star review that came amongst all those five-star ones that said I spent too much time tooting my own horn and we had too much old-fashioned Christianity. Hey, if I couldn't take a shot, I wouldn't risk being on stage, and it's uh, always good to be kept humble. Thank you guys all. So today's show is quite possibly one I'll refer back to forever. With any root foundational message, there are a myriad of relevant topics to discuss. And then there are also just the core undeniable roots. This is one of those shows, one of those topics. The takeaway I desire for us all is this. We know enough to do what we need to do, or at least absolutely start right now. And if we're not starting, it's because we just don't want it bad enough, which again, I'm not dissing anyone. It may be okay for right now. It may not be the time, but at least it's, it's realizing that and making sure that we're honest and not kidding ourselves because we have what it takes, uh, to a great degree right now, at least to start my guest back for round two, as, as we did, sh- uh, just did show 375 together as well. It's my complete honor to introduce him again, Dan Miller. Yes, there are enough authors, speakers, and leaders in my immediate family to fill a Ziegler show. That's my that's my dad. Uh, and why is that? Well, probably because we all grew up listening to Zig, you know, which bodes well as we're all here right now discussing and learning from and striving to live out his legacy and message and striving to inspire our true performance. So my dad, Dan Miller, uh, is a literal best-selling author of 48 Days to the Work You Love. And I, I say literal because he didn't just hit the bestseller list once and claim it. He's been at bestseller status for well over a decade, maybe close to 15 years now. He's also authored the book No More Dreaded Mondays, 
uh, and also a book called Wisdom Meets Passion, which he wrote with his son, my brother, Jared Angaza, and he has a lot of other products as well. Bless yourself by going to 48days.com. Uh, and you can sign up for his newsletter, look at his products, look at their events. They have wildly popular events on coaching and some other things. Uh, you can also search for his podcast, 48 days and go subscribe if you have not already. Well, this is the first show where I asked a guest if they had a topic they wanted to specifically address for the Ziegler audience. I mean, I always have a direction I want to go, but in the first sentence of what my dad wrote back, I was there eager to hand over the reins for this show. This is what Dan, my dad wrote. He says, Hey, as as far as a second show, I wonder about talking about the timelessness of success principles. John Lee recently interviewed Brian Tracy and folks, I'll let you know, uh, we're looking at having Brian on the show soon. So I'm excited about that. But he says, John Lee recently interviewed Brian Tracy and I heard him give the top three characteristics of people who become millionaires. Number one, clear goals. Number two, continuous learning. Number three, willingness to take risk. Uh, And he goes on to say, these are exactly the same things I heard Brian talk about in Getting Rich in America, a six cassette program that came out in 1990, over 25 years ago. My dad says, I listened to that 18 to 20 times when I was trying to rebuild after what I went through in 1988. That's when I, folks, for record, was 17 years old and he uh, lost his shirt in a business deal. But he says, since then, we've added all the social media stuff, but the core principles are still the same. So folks, that's the crux today. Uh, interestingly, yesterday on the Ziegler Instagram page, Alexandra Ziegler, Tom's daughter, Zig's granddaughter, posted a quote from Zig that's perfect for this show and what we just read there. It, it goes like this, discipline yourself to do the things you need to do when you need to do them. And the day will come when you will be able to do the things you want to do when you want to do them. Classic timeless principles. So you, uh, speaking of that, you can find Ziggler on Instagram uh, at the Zig Ziggler. All right. The Zig Ziggler. They got a big follow in there. You can also get these quotes that we're talking about, along with a link with the quote on an incredible image from the Ziggler Facebook page by texting Ziggler to this number three, eight, four, seven, zero. We'll send you some strength to start your week off. Text Ziggler to three, eight, four, seven, zero. So now next, my dad, uh, we're going to go, we're going to cover those three topics and just break them down to say, okay, these are the timeless principles. Why are we as a culture not following them? And what can we do to follow them? And then, uh, but my dad also sent an excerpt from a blog he recently wrote showcasing the seven basic characteristics of simple yet successful business people. And we, so we go through those three topics and then we kind of do a rapid fire through those seven. It's really interesting. And, uh, I think you'll find it a little entertaining too, but man, just strong, stout stuff. So this is where right now we're going to dive in here. I bring you my dad, Dan Miller. So dad, welcome back. It is uh Friday afternoon, uh, and you're in your beautiful countryside of Franklin, Tennessee. I'm absolutely sure you're thoroughly enjoying being here, getting to speak to tens of thousands of people as you often do. I'm also absolutely sure you're looking forward to something enjoyable later today or this weekend. What is it? <laughs> well, I've got a pretty consistent Friday schedule when we're in town at three o'clock. Your mother has a massage at four o'clock. I do. That kind of ends our week. Then we get cleaned up and go to dinner. We usually drive 45 minutes down through the country to a little place called Miller's Grocery. Well, of course. It's been a tradition that we've had for about 25 years now. But uh, the drive, it's, it's not like the restaurant is someplace we just have to go to. 
but it's that old Cervantes saying, the road is better than the end. It's the time in getting there that's really valuable. It gives us time to recap and catch up for the week. Yeah. Then we do eat wonderful food, live music, we drive home and have that time again. Yeah, that that's a highlight of our week. Yeah. It's one of those it's one of those things, as you know, that we've made an investment in our marriage so that it doesn't just become kind of routine. You know, our kids are gone, we could have date night anytime we want to, but there's still something special about identifying that night of the week, and this is special for us. This is date night. Well, so there you go, folks. This is Ziegler's show 376, and then show 370, uh, 373 and 374, I think, were the shows that have just been uh, doing uh, going through the roof. A lot of great reviews from my wife, Terry, and myself on marriage, but there, you can hear where I got my my side of the, the marital value from right there. Well, that's awesome, Dad. Well, hey, this interestingly, this show, I think I've probably written the least for of any show I've ever done because uh, when I said, hey, let's do, we're, you know, we're going to do one show together. Let's do another one. Uh, you laid out so uh, content that was just so rich. I thought, well, let's just, we're going to candidly hit it head on. So we're going to start off. I've already prefaced everybody with what you shared on the three characteristics of people who become millionaires from Brian Tracy. And we'll just dive in. So he starts, number one, clear goals. And, you know, just to be frank, I mean, this is is what Brian and my goodness, Zig and so many other leaders, you included, cite as such a number one trait. Why is it still so rare that in the average human being uh, that they do not have any tangible goals written down? Is it, is there some aspect of fear in doing that? Or are we just that ignorant culturally? <laughs> See, that's a loaded question. I'm I, not sure how to answer that without offending a lot of people. Well, offend them. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes back to the, the Ziegler principle. He was so clear on goals. You, know, you can't hit a target that you can't see. Mm-hmm. So people become what he then referred to as wandering generalities. I and mean, I love that term. And a lot of people live their life by that. They they can look in the rearview mirror and tell you where they've been, but they have very little sense of where they're going. And all of a sudden they look up and they're 65 years old going into a nursing home and, you know, never really had a clear sense of what they were headed toward. Life just kind of happened to them. Uh, to me, there's just too many opportunities to miss the very best in doing that. It's so easy to identify where you want to be and then develop a plan to get there. And I've always been big on this. Even as a kid, you know, I like to identify what it is that I want to accomplish. So I was a real good candidate for Ziegler's seven areas of life, be planning goals in them. And then, of course, a lot of other people since then. You mentioned Brian Tracy. Yeah, Brian was one of those contemporaries of Zig, been teaching this stuff for years. And even the Bible talks about the, the importance of knowing where you're going, having a clear sense of direction, and then it makes the steps to get there more fulfilling, more fruitful, more profitable. Well, okay. So we're talking about the value, but it seems like there's still got to, I mean, people hear this and yet is there truth also in that, that that there's fear? Because if I state something, if I write it down, if I let somebody know now I'm accountable to it, if I don't do that, I have failed. I'm going to feel bad about myself. So it's easier just not to, is that, Got, is that a relevant issue amongst this topic? Yes, it is. It is. And I think when it comes to some of those things that people would identify as big goals, yeah, there's, there's safety in not identifying a goal. If you say that you're going to lose 40 pounds and then you don't do that, 
it's embarrassing if you told people that. If you say you're going to make $100,000 and then you make forty instead. But here's the thing about goals that I think people miss a lot. And Zig was such a master at this. But let's say that somebody is currently making $50,000. And because I, I want to address the issue of fear that you're talking about. Yeah. Let's say they're making $50,000. They say, man, you know, I went to hear that, you know, I listened to some old Ziggler tapes and I came to a Dan Miller conference and I'm going to make $100,000. That's my goal yeah. for 2016. All right. Fantastic. Let's create a plan. Let's create an intentional strategy for how you're going to do that. So they really get in the game. They're doing a lot of right things. And golly, December 20th rolls around and the guy gets sick and he realized, I'm not going to hit my goal. And we look at where he is for the year and he's at $85,000. Are we going to tell that guy he failed, that he's a failure? He went from 50 to 85. You got to be kidding me. We have to realize success is in the progressive realization of worthwhile goals. That's certainly not an original definition with me, but it helps us embrace the progress toward goals. It's not just all or nothing. Mm -hmm. If you want to lose 20 pounds and you want to lose 18, you hang your head in shame. No, enjoy the thrill of moving forward so far like that. But I think people sometimes get that all or nothing kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. They think, well, if I say it and then I don't hit it, people are going to think I'm a goofus, you know, I'm a failure. No, we have to reframe. And and there's some other things we're going to reframe here. And I hope in our discussion today, as we move through these three things, because, you know, we have to reframe, what does a goal mean? A goal is a target, but it's not an all or nothing in that either you hit it a hundred percent. I mean, personally, Kevin, I set goals so that I have about a 50-50 chance of hitting them. Yeah. If I ever hit 100% of my goals in a year, I'd be mortified. <laughs> I'd be depressed it's because true. I'd think, yeah. I'd think, my gosh, I said I'm way too low. Yeah. I don't expect to hit my goals 100%. 50% chance, and I'm a happy camper to move toward them. Well, yeah, it sounds like you're giving us, I mean, that's great, folks, to, to hear that. I think hopefully that will be a relief to a lot of people that you can set goals and it's not a pass or fail on achieving them a hundred percent. So you're in essence giving us permission to fail, but, but a charge to improve. Absolutely. But see, I don't even word use the word failure in that. It's not, you, you can't fail. It, it, Got it. You know, Dan Sullivan, a strategic coach says there's only two outcomes. Either you win or you learn. Let's <laughs> nice. get rid of the idea of failing. Either you win or you learn. Either one is a positive thing. You know, it's interesting, Dad, and, and, and coming off of just mentioning marriage a minute ago, that you, um, I'm cut from the same cloth, either by your teaching or your genes, one or the other, uh, of, yeah, shooting for the stars. And I, it, it, it was an issue in my marriage, though, and maybe it, I don't know, but I'll ask you if there's, if we sometimes be cautious or, um, um, yeah, on who you share some of those goals with. For instance, my wife, you know, I would do that. Okay, next year, you know, this year we made 20 grand. Next year, we're going to make a million bucks. All right, that's the goal. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then so, she, okay, all right. I, I, this is early on in our relationship, especially. And at the end of the year, I, I didn't make 20. I made 75. I'm not even close to a million. And she's, she's kind of, uh, 
she's kind of thrown for a loop. She had her sights. She thought we were going to be in the bigger house. She thought she was making plans for that. You know, and to her credit, she believed me. And then she's like, oh my gosh, we didn't get anywhere close. And I'm just, in my own standpoint, I'm going, well, hey, did we made more? Yeah, we doubled it. We tripled it, whatever. And I had to learn in my marriage, at least, and even with some other people. And it, I mean, I, I assume that dad, this would relate to, you know, if you got people on a team that you're with, that there are some that you can set gauge for yourself that you can handle and realize other people may perceive it differently. And there's some discernment in there. Well, yes, there is. I mean, we have to use, and it comes from Zig along with some other people, smart goals, S M E R T. So you, it's not really a smart goal to say that you made $20,000 this year and you want to make a million next year. Yeah. That, that doesn't really fit the criteria of how we set reasonable goals. So can there be an increase? Sure. But if you increase your income 10% a year in eight years, you're going to double. I mean, you can get dramatic increases by smaller incremental increases. So, you know, sometimes it's just blowing smoke. I mean, that's not really setting a goal. If you say you want to make a million dollars, I want you to show me week by week, day by day, what you're going to do to have that kind of incremental increase to end up to reasonably expect to end up there. You can't, I mean, as soon as you go one day and you haven't made an increase, you're way behind. Mm -hmm. If you go a month and you're still, you know, making $3,000 a month, you're so far behind. I mean, you have to see, how are you going to exponentially increase your income? If you have a plan for that and you see validation of that in the first 30 days, Rock and roll. We're on track, but smart goals imply that you that they're they are really reasonable. You have a timetable that allows you to see that can be done. Well, then this is why I'm the luckiest guy here because I, I get to get this kind of teaching and I actually get paid for it as well. I'm I, <laughs> I, I'm I'm the best of the Ziegler audience here. I got a, I got a good deal, you know. Because as you say that, what I realize you're talking about that, Dad, is yeah, you're right. It's it's big visions. Big visions inspire me. I have a hard time getting out of bed and getting excited for a little vision, but within that big vision, you're saying I need to set realistic goals. I hear you on that, and that may be you know here's the goal I can share with my wife, even though my vision may be ridiculous but that's that's what inspires me i see a possibility um well the a in smart is attainable mm. and that doesn't mean that you just squash your big dreams i love big dreams i mean small things don't get us excited and and frankly even when it comes to like income i mean i encourage people to think about what would happen if you 10 times your income Mm. what would it require to 10 times that tends to produce more engagement, more excitement than just saying, what if we could double it? Yeah, okay, you know, that would be fine. But what would it really be like to 10 times? So I'm a big one to propose the 10X factor, but then we quickly back into, all right, what is the plan to bring that into view? Well, okay, so uh, that is uh, obviously a huge issue, goals, folks. I mean, yeah, Ziggler's primary platform uh, is right there, but realizing that so few people, and I can often put the word in us, we, we tend to not do it. And um, we've got to, if we want to emulate those who really succeed in the true sense of the word success, we've got to set goals, but figure out how it works for you. Well, next one that you cited, Dad, was continuous learning. And it's interesting, somebody somewhere recently, forgive me for not remembering so I can source you, but claimed, might have even been Tom Ziegler or something, claimed a statistic that the majority of people stop 
pursuing learning after college. Uh, and, and for those of you like me, never went beyond high school for formal education. That's even scarier. Uh, though, like me, you're here. We're pursuing education here, but continuous learning. I mean, Dad, you cited that as the the number two thing that was shared. I mean, if we stopped a hundred people on the street and asked them if they quit learning after high school or college, I would think a hundred percent would say, well, of course not. And to their credit, of course they're right. By proxy of living, we're exposed to daily things and learn sort of, but I don't think that that's what you're referring to here. It really is not. And we, we know that the average American does not read one book a year. That just breaks my heart because to me, I mean, another one of, Zig's contemporaries, Dennis Waitley, said he'll take anybody, and I've done this as a challenge to my audience before, some really fun results, that if you'll spend 30 minutes a day in improvement, reading or listening to great positive material, you can double your income in six months. And I've had people take me up on that challenge with some really startling results. 30 minutes a day, we're not talking about changing everything that you're doing, 30 minutes of discretionary time to really devote it, but that means doing something other than just sitting in front of the TV, like reading or listening Mm -hmm. or taking a class. And so very few people do that. A lot of people in our culture, and you know that I spent some time, you know, working on a degree internationally, Mm -hmm. but in our culture, in American culture, degrees are seen as a terminal degree, meaning that once you get that piece of paper, your learning stops. Mm -hmm. In the European model of education, it's very different. You get a degree, it's seen as this tiny seed that then stimulates what happens in turn of continued learning for the rest of your life. Very different kind of model. But a lot of people, you know, you can talk to attorneys who haven't read a book in the last 20 years. They have a JD behind their name and they stopped any kind of formal learning beyond that. Continuous learning, this has very little to do with sitting in a classroom. This is something that takes place in a lot of different ways especially in today's environment, what are you doing to, for personal development that continues? And if that stops, and I've told people around here, you, you see me stop learning that I'm just now going to teach and not learn anymore. Please dig a hole and push me in today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, I was privy to, I was blessed by you and the people you exposed me to, to see that at an early age, to see these guys like you who are, authors, teachers, leaders, experts, presenters, yada, yada. And they are such consummate learners. You and Zig, I mean, are are two people that I got to be privy to on that. And my gosh, you would think here's Zig. Hasn't he arrived by now? And yet he, what was his quote? You know, he spent two hours a day, something like that reading always never fiction. He would say, uh, and then I, yeah. And that's I think that's a good rule of thumb, yeah. two hours a day. Yeah. And then I saw that, I saw that with you and it's interesting as I do these, gosh, folks, listen to this. This is interesting. As I do these interviews, I don't know how many I average uh, a month now for Ziegler and I'm interviewing you dad and I'm interviewing uh, Roy Williams and Seth Godin and Dave Ramsey and uh, Andy Andrews and all these guys, if they are in their office, it's almost the, it's like, it's like there's a prop. Uh, you guys all have the same background. And it's a pile of books. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just undeniable. I should I should take screenshots of every interview. You know what? I'm going to do that with us here in a second. Take screenshots to showcase that. Well, okay. Continuous learning, folks. I hope you heard that. Number three, then. Hey, let me let yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. One more thing, Kevin. Please. If I can add there. Yeah. 
on that continuous learning, a lot of people think, well, yeah, you know, if it's something I can watch on YouTube or whatever, that's fine. But uh, please don't ask me to buy a $20 book. Oh. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You, you somehow think you're going to improve yourself in making no investment in the process? Now, Brian Tracy and certainly others, but I certainly tell people, make this a strategic part of your budget, mm. your personal improvement budget. And I think that ought to be about 5% of your total income. Now, if we look at that, I mean, it doesn't matter where you are. If you are making $50,000 a year, well, it's going to be what? That'd be $2,500 a year. Set that aside. You can attend a major conference for that. You can go to smaller workshops and seminars. You can buy a wealth of information, online programs, whatever. Just consider that part. I mean, I, I buy books. I mean, it's rare that. UPS doesn't come rolling back the driveway, bringing mm-hmm. me an Amazon delivery. I mean, it's a rare day that that doesn't happen. I don't think twice about that. Somebody mentions a new book. Wow. Bingo. And one of the guys was, is Brian Tracy, who you've already mentioned. He's got a brand new book out called Get Smart. I've read tons and tons of material that Brian has put out. I ordered it instantly. Mm-hmm. No second thought. I didn't look at the reviews, research it. I want to have it. But you know, so we, we can go up, up the line there. You know, so if somebody makes $100,000 a year, that's $5,000 you've got. I mean, put it in a kitty where you know you've got that to spend. It's an investment will give you a bigger return and you know, getting a new car in the driveway, believe me. I mean, even somebody making you know, 12 bucks an hour. I mean, if we amortize that out, that means you're going to have about $100 a month that ought to be going into personal improvement. I mean, you can dramatically change your station in life if you follow that formula. Quick sponsor call out to a place where you can load up on self-improvement, audible.com. Folks, you can get nearly any book in the Ziegler Library right now at audible.com slash Ziegler. There are over 40 Ziegler resources, including the all-time classic bestsellers, See You at the Top and Born to Win. Audible is the leader in audiobooks, which is the number one format books are consumed in today's world. Audible literally carries over 180,000 books in audio format immediately delivered for your listening pleasure. And here's the best thing. You can get the books from nearly all of our recent interviewees on The Ziggler Show right now for free. Tom Rath, Dave Ramsey, Andy Andrews, Michael Hyatt, Seth Godin, and our honored guest today, my dad, Dan Miller. Uh, 48 Days to the Work You Love is on there. No More Mondays, Wisdom Meets Passion, and more. So to get them right now, you can get a free 30-day trial membership at audible.com slash Ziggler. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash Ziggler for your free 30-day trial membership. And I've been on, I've been trying to discipline myself lately because I get into the habit of just, you know, time crunch. And then also if I have, if I've got spare time, I want to produce something. And yet, um, I get so much benefit by taking that minute to just read something, listen to something. And, uh, but I've got, I have to discipline myself to do it admittedly. Well, we're, we're, you know, and, and the thing is, it's interesting as your income goes up, it can almost be. I've heard Darren Hardy, you know, publisher of Success Magazine, talk about the fact that it becomes a challenge to figure out ways to spend the money uh, as as your income goes up. That's interesting. But I looked, looked just yesterday. I mean, we're talking here in March, 
in the next three months, I've got seven major conferences that I'll be attending. Well, I mean, that includes some flights and hotels and things in there. But I do that because I still consider that to be a reasonable formula. It's not like, okay, you know, I've been to a lot of conferences. I don't need to go to as many. No, as my success increases, I really feel more desire and need to be spending time reading, studying, learning, connecting with other people to improve where I am. Well, all right. So number three here, willingness to take risks. And, you know, again, this is one that that's not, nobody's, nobody here is, is hearing that for the first time. We hear that it's not new news, but it is again, kind of like the, the, uh, setting goals. It's very unfollowed news. Uh, it feels like we're in a culture that has placed so much emphasis on the pursuit of safety and comfort as the ultimate responsibility and anything that might possibly, anything I, I, I can see this in a crowd. You know, that's what is, you can talk about your 401k and your, uh, and your, your nice home and your late model cars, and that's all responsible. But you talk about something that might jeopardize it. And it's looked at initially in most circles. I'm grateful that I'm not in one of those circles in my own social arena, but it's looked on as foolish and selfish and irresponsible, which means if you take risks, you're a fool. I see people and I can tell that they have that they're fighting that perception. And, you know, I know that, um, you can easily cite, you know, cause and effect. We, we took, we took risks. If you look at world leaders, they would say, yeah, I took a risk and that's what got me to succeed to, to win. But it doesn't seem to be, I don't know if I see a tidal wave right now in our culture of people taking more risk. It feels like the opposite. So I, I wish there was a magic bullet to letting folks be more accepting of risk. You got a magic bullet for us, dad? Yeah. I want to kill that word. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to somehow do away with the word because I think it has the wrong connotation. Okay. Yeah. It implies that this is going to be scary, unpredictable. I mean, that's kind of what risk means. So yeah. if you and I go to Las Vegas and we have the titles to our cars, our back pocket. We put those down on the table and then have the guy roll the dice. That's risk because we have no control. It's just based on luck. That's not what thinking people do. That's not what successful people do. Business people, entrepreneurs, not at all. We reduce risk dramatically by having a careful plan. So if we have those goals laid out, We have a plan. That, to me, is not risky. Now, here's the thing. In the millionaire mind that Dr. Thomas Stanley wrote, he talked about this and the idea that you can either go to a job tomorrow and you'll get a paycheck on Friday, or you can go down here, we can go downtown Nashville, Tennessee, and I can have a hot dog stand there, and I can hope that people come by and buy my hot dogs. Now, most people would see that having a hot dog stand as being really, really risky. Golly, the other one, you know you're going to get a paycheck on Friday. You know how people who end up extremely wealthy view it? Exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. They view going to work where one person can put you on the street this afternoon as extremely risky as compared to having that little hot dog stand where you may have 276 people come by today and buy your hot dogs. If one person decides he doesn't like you anymore, big deal. You've got so much insulation against ups and downs in the economy or people's likes and dislikes in that scenario. 
it's no big deal at all. So we have to reframe what risk really is. Sometimes the greatest risk is not changing where you are, but people assume that any kind of change is risky. Well, mm-hmm. that's not true. One of the things, and I had somebody yesterday, we were talking about your your mom's new book that's coming out, and there's a quote in there from me and it, where it says, change is the only thing that opens the door to new adventures and opportunities. If you like your life exactly as it is today, you want nothing to change, then don't risk anything. Just close down doors, just keep things exactly the same. But if you want any new kind of results in your life, no matter what that is, I mean, more health, more vibrancy in your marriage, better relationship with your kids, more money in the bank, doesn't matter what it is, more customers. If you want any kind of change in results at all, then you have to accept and embrace change and just redefine it. It's not risk. It's opening the door to a new opportunity. Somehow I want to convey that. I, I No, I love it. And the first thing I thought of is I said, yeah, can we replace risk and, and Christian? I don't really like either of those terms. They weigh <laughs> too much baggage. <laughs> so yeah. no, I, I love that. And it brings to mind too, you know, some of the stuff I, I realize is wisdom though. I also, as your kid, I, I didn't have any choice. You brainwashed me from the get go on, you know, where security is and uh, wrecked my chances for honest employment, you know? Um, but, uh, refresh the thing that, you know, I probably got it from you that I realize is as yeah, people look at, well, ch- you're talking about change and going for changing something is risky. And yet we're not auditing the risk of staying where we are. That's the one that kills me the most, um, that we look at, but yeah, it comes to what you said. You kind of, I thought had that thought for a long time that, yeah, we look at going forward, look at, at something new as risk. We don't audit the risk of staying where we are, but you said it in regards to change because doing something different than where we are is change. And that is often, Oh, that that's where uh, fear comes in again, back to the topic of fear. It is, but that's what, that's also the only thing that opens the door to new adventures, yeah. opportunities yeah. and increases. Okay. They're, they're, they're through the same door and it, it has to do with what, what do you expect? I mean, and then that, that plays out a lot. I mean, a lot of times, I mean, we have to realize what we expect tends to become our reality. Yeah. So if you, it's, it's like when I, I hear from people every day, you know, who lost their jobs, it's just the nature of the workplace. It doesn't mean that people are bad or unreliable or sure. it just happens. And people almost without exception, immediately assume less. Golly, I lost my job. We're going to have to turn back in the car that we leased. We're not going on vacation this year. We're going to pull the kids out of private school. I got to give up my golf membership. We aren't going out to eat anymore this year. And I'm like, why would you assume less? Why would you not assume the possibility of more with this getting your attention, taking a fresh look at where you are, what you have to offer the world? Why would that not have the potential to lead to more? And in fact, that is borne out in a large majority of those cases mm-hmm. where people in retrospect, and they look back and say, wow, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. But the immediate knee jerk reaction is somehow change is going to be risky and pull me down rather than open the door to something new. Okay. What well, brings to mind that I use you as an analogy a lot with one of my current business partners and other people as well. But as they are, I see people as they are working to try to achieve something significant. And I, it's hard not to use the entrepreneurial analogy with this, that uh, folks go along and while their peers in traditional employment are going along and they're safe and secure, you know, in, in quotes, 
uh, job there and they've got their 401k and they're getting their whatever they get, 3%, 5% increase every year. And they're on this little little uh, trajectory of, of, of small increase in their life as they go along. And then we have our some of our entrepreneurs down here who are working like dogs and they don't have any of that stuff in place. And I have a business partner right now who's who has been in some of that discomfort of going, oh my gosh, am I doing the right thing? And I use you as the example because I grew up with you and I've seen you intimately as you've gone along and you were that guy while your peers had their, you know, decent level of living and income and and success there. And you were going along on this turbulent waters in essence without, you didn't have a 401k and 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 a padded retirement and all that. And yet you went along, went along, went along. And then your graph went through the roof that you gave me the example of that too. And not to, gosh, I don't want that to sound, help me make that sound better. Cause I can almost sound that does, that can sound uh, risky. Like you're putting all your, all your eggs in that hope of the big hit, but that is what business and self-employment often is. It's a lot of what you're, you probably gave me the analogy of the bamboo tree, right? Well, I, th- I think, I think I probably got it from Zig. Really? <laughs> okay. Well, you, you recite it. You, you, you're a better well, reciter. Well, you plant a bamboo tree yeah. and you water it and fertilize it and gee, nothing happens. It just stays this little twig. You water it and fertilize it. And then about five years in, in a 90 day period, it grows you know, 30 feet. It's yeah. that kind of thing. It was being nurtured all along. There were things happening. You just didn't see the, a big linear increase. It came in a real upswing in a very short period of time. You know, when, when I went through, and, and of course, you know, I've been very open about going through a horrendous business crash a few mm-hmm. years ago, woke up the next morning, you were a little younger then, but you certainly remember it, woke up the next morning and was about $430,000 in debt. Much of that did the IRS. I knew I had two clear options at that point. It would have been reasonable, rational, non-risky to get a job. Mm-hmm. And I was employable. I had my master's degree in psychology. I was teaching as an adjunct at the university at that time. I could have gotten a job teaching, you know, making $60,000 a year. That would have been a responsible thing to do. However, in looking at it realistically, we already had three children at that point. And I thought the math on this doesn't work. There's no way in the world we can live and repay that massive debt that I have I'll never see the light of day again financially. Mm-hmm. So what do I do? Jump right back in with something that has absolutely no guarantee at all. No base, no salary, no benefits, no 401k, just raw, take an idea, put legs on it. I saw that as my only option. I didn't see that as risky. I saw it as the only right, responsible option. A brief pause to recognize a proud Ziggler supporter, Pipe Drive. Sales was Zig's favorite profession. And if you're engaged in sales in your work or business, efficiently tracking and following up with prospects and leading people through our, your sales cycle can be laborious, but sales happens through consistent communication with your suspects and prospects. And you can't be consistent without a rock solid strategy and structure and platform. This is what pipe drive gives us all pipe drives. Not only a proud supporter of the Ziggler show, they also are a product we use at Ziggler. 
PipeDrive is a CRM tool that specializes in small teams. With PipeDrive, the pain and frustration of tracking deals and email and spreadsheets has gone forever. Entrepreneurs like me love PipeDrive because it visualizes your sales pipeline, highlighting opportunities and potential problems, ultimately ensuring important activities and conversations don't get dropped. So head over to PipeDrive.com slash Ziggler to start your exclusive 60-day free trial only available to listeners of this show. Again, that's PipeDrive.com slash Ziggler. Get your 60-day free trial exclusive only to you as a Ziggler listener. Okay, that's interesting because as, as I'm thinking about that, you went and you said no guarantee. So you get a job, you've got a guarantee, but you've got very small possibility of a lot. You go in where you have no guarantee, but as you know and just attest to, you have great possibility. And, and of course, it came to fruition for you multiple times. Anytime you have a guarantee, there's a ceiling on your opportunity. Hmm. I, I'm the kind of guy, if you tell me, you know, gee, Dan, if you wash my car, you know, I'll pay you five bucks or I'll guarantee you five bucks. Or if you wash it and I don't like what you've done, particularly, I'll give you $2. But if I really like it, I'll give you $10. Man, you know which option I'm taking every single time, 100%. Keep your five bucks. I'll go provide extraordinary service and know that the upside is possible. Yeah. Even if I end up with three bucks, I'm still going to feel better about it. Okay. I, uh, that quote, anytime you have a guarantee, you have, I think you said you have a ceiling on your opportunity. You have a ceiling of opportunity. That's a big, that's a big statement for, I think all of us to think on as we want security. If there's a guarantee, there's a ceiling on the opportunity. Um, Oh, that's, that's, that's what I was going to say. That's, that'd be a good quote poster, but I don't know if that's motivating. That's just more like one of those statements of conviction. Uh, that you got to live with. Uh, I like it. Well, but it, it puts in question, why are people so eager to try to require a guarantee? Mm-hmm. I mean, the kid getting out of college is 22 years old and he doesn't want an opportunity. What he wants is an office with a guaranteed $85,000 a year salary. And he, he doesn't even realize one thing that's going to be hard to find. He has no proven track record to make him a candidate for that. But the other thing is he really is limiting the upside potential. If he does secure that, mm-hmm. it's not to his best interest to do that. And yet so many people are drawn to that. They think, no, that's the best thing to get, you know, get the guarantee. At least I know I got that. Okay. Um, so as as we started off this show, I told you there was another topic. There's a blog that you wrote that had seven basic characteristics of uh, of successful people ultimately. And I want so I'm I'm gonna we're gonna candidly I'm gonna ask you: Should we do another show and go deeper into them, or should we do a, a kind of a rapid fire and let me go through them and and just ask you to give a comment on each? <laughs> <laughs> put the interview well, in your seat. It probably, it probably ties in with what we've got, you know, how people become millionaires. We've got those three clear right. steps, clear goals, continuous learning, willingness to take risk. The other things here are just kind of complementary skills. We can tie. Well, so, so let me ask you then. So we'll do, we'll do a rapid fire thing. I'm going to go through these seven principles sure. that you laid out seven. You said, and you said it's from a blog, which folks again, 48 days.com go there and, and hit the blog. 
And you said, from my observations, I identified seven basic characteristics of these simple yet successful businesses, or you could say successful people. So how about if I'll, I'll read it off and I had some more written on this, but I'll just lay the thing out there and ask you to make a comment on, for those of us listening, what is a way, a simple way that we can increase our efforts in each of these areas, or we can pursue it better uh, in each of these. Just give us a, a, um, uh, an action step, maybe even a, a resource even. Okay. I'll leave that up to you. So you ready? Yep. All right. Number one, an ethic of hard work. It's, go ahead. We're too enamored with thinking that there's got to be an easy way. Mm-hmm. We want, we want the latest, greatest magic pill you know, we're so used to everything being instant and even in business, you know, people want to know how they can make $50,000 next month. Uh, that's so rare and so unrealistic. You know, so if you want to, if you want a, a resource and go to Proverbs 10 verses four and five, laziness leads to poverty. Hard work makes you rich at harvest season. It's smart to work hard, but stupid to sleep. There you go. Okay. And if you want to make sure that work is at least enjoyable, then go by 48 days to the work you love. There you go. There's my <laughs> pitch. All right. Number two, use of apprenticeships to train young entrepreneurs. How do we pursue that opportunity? It seems, yeah, it's not, not readily available anymore. You know, it's not. It used to be a dad would take his son or his uh-huh. daughter to work and they'd see what kind of a work environment. I mean, you talk to most high school kids today, they can't describe what their parents do. Because they just leave in the morning, go to some office, concrete and asphalt, not really sure even what they do. Not the kind of tangible work. And I think we really missed something there. Just yesterday, um, my wife, your mom, uh, took one of our granddaughters with her to do a speaking engagement. They spoke at a school where they talked about how to write a children's book, how to take your ideas and really put it together with illustrations and turn it into a real book that's being published or by by a real publisher and so on. Well, in asking your mom and asking Joanne to do that, the school asked, you know, what's your fee to come do that? Well, her natural instinct would be to say, you know, nothing. I said, no, 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 don't do that. I I said, tell them $50 because there's a principle here that we can use. So she did. We then told Clara, our eight-year-old granddaughter, that she was going to go speak, which they did yesterday. She prepared, worked hard to do the illustrations and practice her speech over and over and over again. She gave a speech, took 18 minutes to deliver it. She got a check for $25 for doing that. Uh What a great example of helping somebody see the connection between hard work and being paid for that. I mean, you remember, Kevin, when you were 10 years old, you wanted a BMX bike. I do. It was a hot thing. A red line. A red line. Yeah. Well, golly, this sucker's were 400 bucks. Mm-hmm. Now, I know your neighbor, you know, Jeff across the street. Yeah. His, his parents, parents were nice. Horn. They just got his. <laughs> yeah, they just got his. And you said you wanted one. I uh-huh. said, fantastic. That's cool. How much are they? $400. That's cool. What are you going to do to get that? Well, Dan, let's go down to the store. You can write a check. <laughs> I'm like, uh, that's not how it works in our house. Yeah. Well, and if you remember, uh-huh. I, I bought an old motorcycle. I remember it. We worked on that for six weeks. You were 10 years old. Six weeks is a long time. We worked on it every day. Took that mm-hmm. thing apart. I still, I still hate sanding rust. <laughs> <laughs> we sanded. We scrubbed. We had some parts re-chrome. We put it back together. We carefully mm-hmm. spray painted it, put a little pinstripe on it, put it out in the yard, 
first day we put it out, somebody came and bought it at full price. I took every penny back out that I had spent on that in terms of materials. We had $410 left. I says, Kevin, you got 410 bucks. What do you want to do? I want to go buy that red line. Yep. Well, we did, but instead of it laying out in the front yard over the weekend, like the neighbor's kid, yours was in your bedroom. Mm -hmm. You valued it because you had invested six weeks of hard work in earning that. There's a connection between hard work and reward. It's not just financial. There are other things, but that's what apprenticeships, you know, I'd love to have more of that as we teach people the real life connection between work and well, reward. Well, and the dramatic value. And as a father now, I realize the amount of time that you put into that to make that analogy possible because now I'm my kids and man, it's a lot of work, but goodness. Yeah. The, <laughs> the payoff is dramatic. Uh, thank you. Uh, so number three, small scale operations. And in the head under that, we are so quick to believe that bigger is better. Why'd you have that down? <laughs> because, because everybody wants to brag about how big they are mm-hmm. these days. Are you kidding me? I mean, gee, you know, I did a product launch and we did $300,000. Really? Tell me how much that you kept mm-hmm. after your joint venture payouts and product costs and team costs and all that. You know, don't just try to wow me with bigger is better. You know, people who get into podcasting, first thing they, they want to start bragging number of downloads or, gee, I got 50,000 people on Facebook. Well, sometimes those numbers have no direct correlation to income or value being provided. Let's get more realistic. I mean, depending on what you were doing, if you were providing financial information, you could have a list of a thousand people and do extremely well with that list. You don't need 50,000. You don't need a hundred thousand. Be realistic about what it takes to really equate to success. You know, the other thing is the small scale operations. Sometimes we need to do things that don't scale. Mm. I mean, tell me what the ROI is on you spending time with your wife. We don't even, it doesn't even equate. There are a lot of things in life that have a whole lot of value that don't scale. Mm-hmm. It's not just a matter of getting bigger. It's a better, matter of living a life that matters. Well, so it, I was about to insert this on the small scale operations, but, and again, folks, we're talking about that. This is, this is from a blog that, uh, that my dad wrote seven basic characteristics of these simple yet successful businesses and, and successful people. Um, the next one, number four, you have frugality and austerity resulting in low overhead and avoidance of debt. The Amish view debt as comparable to paying for a dead horse. I, I wanted to pull that out though. Cause when you talk about small scale operations in the business world, especially the media attention when, so when I read fast company and, and success and Inc, I mean, the ones that you often are reading about are somebody who Silicon Valley story, you know, and they raised a bunch of money or they did Kickstarter campaign and yet I know from you and from your teaching that that is a very, very, very small percentage of the successful businesses out there. Most of them are started with, and you give the numbers. Right. We hear those all the time. Gee, I need to raise $3 million. Are you kidding me? Entrepreneur Magazine, their latest statistics tell us 69% of all new businesses being started today in America require less than $10,000. Hmm. When you think about it, you know, I hear people who want to start a podcast or they want to be a coach. Well, gee, I need to, you know, borrow money. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why? What, just start with what you've got. It doesn't require money. Most of the businesses that are being started today don't require a lot of capital. You don't need buildings and inventory 
and employees and all those traditional things. Just start with what you've got. But we get, again, thinking that somehow having a lot of dollars connected to, even on the cost side, equates to a more profitable business. And we just don't see that borne out at all. You know, I'm one of those guys, Kevin, you know I like cars. I've always enjoyed cars, driven Mm -hmm. lots of different cars. I've never had a car payment in my life. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's just, it just doesn't make sense to me. I, I, it, it is like, like we got there paying for a dead horse. And I, I cringe when I think about, you know, what that really means. I recently, we had an experience where your mom and I drove into a housing project to check on a young lady that she's been mentoring for years and she's doing very well, thankfully. But pulling into the housing project, I was driving my current ride, and it immediately attracted a bunch of which I got to say, okay, I got it's a it's a black vet, okay, and it's just not your average vet too. So you sent me a picture of that. You said, I think you said this is my current Amish buggy, and uh, I showed it to a friend who I was with. He said, Oh my gosh, that's like an eighty thousand dollar car, and I just laughed. Ask you how much you pay, but I said, No, no, you're gonna be blown away. And when I told him the number, they said, What? Oh my, does it have an engine? How, how does that happen? <laughs> Anyways. Well, having, having money in your pocket allows you to find extraordinary deals uh-huh. when it comes to cars. I don't go into a dealership hoping that I'm lucky enough that they'll sell me a car that they can get financed for me. And you know, with money in my pocket to buy a car, it changes that dramatically. But these, these little kids, you know, immediately, I mean, the first question I was asked, and a little kid was probably five years old. He says, Mr., are you rich? Hmm. I thought, wow, I mean, it broke my heart for one thing. And then asking these kids, what are your goals for when you grow up? What are you going to do so you can drive any kind of car you want? Without exception, it was being the NBA or the NFL. Mm -hmm. The chances that are so infinitesimally small, you know, as compared to washing windows till you save up a hundred bucks and then go buy a lawnmower and start mowing yards. Yeah, you really do have a shot at Mm -hmm. getting rich. But also in looking around the parking lot, I could point out a whole lot of cars in that parking lot that were missing three wheel covers and had dents on three sides and a cracked windshield where the people owed more on the money on the car currently than what I paid in its entirety for the car I was driving. It's just a different perspective, but that being frugal and keeping yourself in clean shape, you know, financially. Wow. And have I made mistakes? Oh my gosh. Yes. I don't want to imply that at all, but uh, when it comes to business, we can do things very, very simply and still lead to pretty extraordinary success. Well, again, you taught me that so well, even to the point of where now I'm suffering from the other side. Terry recently said, honey, we're not destitute. You're running clothes. You look like a bum. Please go buy some clothes. <laughs> hey, I was, I, was, <laughs> I was brought up by an Amish dude. What can I say? Um, uh, all right, number five then, product quality, uniqueness, and value. And you actually wrote the United, talk about offending some folks. Well, here you go. The United States is known for shoddy workmanship and poor quality. A return to quality is a key to success. Uh, maybe think about our buddy Dave Munson with Saddleback Leather, whose bag is sitting next to me where they're guaranteed for a hundred years. Man, I beat the tar out of that bag and overload it. And it is, it is, but you're right. Uh, so you're saying we've got to, for success, we've got to go back to product quality, uniqueness, and value. And I wonder where, where did we leave that? Well, we somehow became convinced that there was going to be a quick and easy way. You know, just get something out there that's shiny on the outside, get the people's money. And if they discover inside it's broken and doesn't work, at least you got their money. That that's a real short 
short-term path to any kind of success and certainly isn't even what we would call success. There's got to be that. And there's got to be something unique. You got to be clear about what it is that you bring to the table that identifies your unique value. Here's just a quick example and we can move on. But I'm known still primarily as a career coach. Mm -hmm. Well, if you Google career coaches, you're going to get 10 million sites, probably, probably more. I don't know. I'm probably in that list somewhere, but I have no idea where, because there's nothing unique about being one more career coach. You put in 48 days. I own that. I mean, the Google page, I own that. It's not, it's not through fancy SEO or anything like that. It's just because that uniquely identifies me. I'm that mm-hmm. guy, not just that says, look at yourself, find your passions, get a job, start a business. No, I'm that guy that says, you can change your life dramatically in 48 days if you create a plan and act on it. So find that about what it is you're offering. What is it that makes it unique that people talk about it? It's well, fun- like Saddleback, you know, yeah. the fight over it when you're dead. I know. He's <laughs> we'll talk about a brand. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I'm still a little disappointed in, in, in the, the generic name you gave me, Kevin Miller. I mean, I don't come up anywhere. There's a billion of us. But type in Kevin Miller Ziegler, man, I, I own that sucker. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I love oh, that. Of course, of course, you know, your brother changed his name. I know. I know. It's <laughs> that. <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting on product quality, uniqueness and value. And I know you see this and we can move on, but it's interesting as I watch, you know, the, the business world and we have, we have the Walmart effect, of course, we've got so many going towards that. So, you know, if you want the cheapest toilet paper, whatever, go over there, but then we have so much more opportunity and I'm involved on the medical, uh, in the medical industry, the healthcare industry on the, I guess you'd call it boutique offerings where people are saying, no, I want more. I want something better than the Walmart offering and they will pay product quality, uniqueness, and value. Um, so that was number five there. Number six, you've got integrity and character. And then you said not just morality, not doing uh, morality, which is not doing anything wrong, but taking the initiative to do what is right. I thought that was really interesting. So folks, again, he's, he's listed number six, integrity and character. And he says not just morality, which is, is not doing anything wrong, but taking the initiative to do what is right. So I'm just curious, what, uh, what, where did that statement come from? You really pulled that out. You know, there are a lot of people who are moral. They're, they're just not doing you know, wrong things. That's really different than integrity, where you take the initiative to do something significant, do something that's right. I mean, there are a lot of people who have a legal contract that defines what they can do, and they can take advantage of somebody or get out of what they committed to verbally because it's not illegal. Mm-hmm. That's, I, we have to go beyond that. We have to go to a higher standard than that. I was raised again where your word is your bond. And if you give your word on something, that's all that's needed. You don't need a fancy legal document. And I think that speaks to something that goes way beyond what most people think is required. I mean, morality, legality is a very low bar, a very low standard. Integrity and character speak volumes that go beyond that. Well, it's interesting you say that, that morality, that a lot of people think I'm moral because I don't do anything wrong. Um, The recent show we did uh, with marriage as a focus, I think it was a quote from Zig where he said a a successful marriage is more than just the absence of conflict. Uh, Yeah. That was, yeah, we, we talked on that. That's interesting. So integrity and character. So you're just showcasing it more as a, a proactive uh, thing that we do. Very much so. Okay. Very much so. All right. Number seven. This is our last one here, folks. You have word 
is bond. Their word is their bond. Legal. Well, it's kind of it hits on the same thing. Legal contracts are not as binding as giving one's word. And then you cite, uh, well, cite the scripture there, and then tell give give us more on that. The word is bond because I assume you put that there because you see successful people are doing that, and and others are not. That's right. There are so many people that are trying to weasel their way out of things where it was clear they committed to it, but they can't find the wording in the in the contract that holds them to it. And so they're going to weasel out, costing good people money and whatever. Yeah, on the, the verse, I've got First John 2, verse 5 there. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. You know, I've got some good friends here. You know Andy Andrews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we interviewed him recently. All right, did you really? Okay, Andy. Well, Andy and his manager, Robert Smith. Oh, you told me the story. I thought about it. I literally thought about it in looking at these principles, Dad. Yeah. Wow. Did you realize? Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it they're, stuck they're an example. Me. I mean, they were high school buds, you know, got out of school and Andy wanted to speak, do his comedy routine in front of high schools. was charging 500 bucks a piece to get booked. Well, he didn't know how to get booked and he asked his buddy, Robert, you know, why don't you help me with this? And Robert's like, gee, I don't know how to do that, you know, but I'll help you out until you find somebody better. And I said, okay. So they agreed on how they would split the revenue. That was 36 years ago. They don't have a contract that spells that out. They have generated millions and millions of dollars, and it's handled exactly as they agreed on it as high school buddies without any kind of legal contract at all. I love that, where somebody can give their word and live it out, even if all of a sudden there's an upside or a downside. No, I gave you my word. That's the way it's going to be because I agreed to that. You know, when I went through that period of time, as I alluded to, uh, you know, a little earlier when I woke up and was heavily in debt, we were trying to work our way out of that. Though I had a legal option to file bankruptcy. I never considered that for a nanosecond. Now, I also, you know, was so optimistic that I thought I could just be back on top in a couple of years. And it actually took a lot longer than that. But I never considered it ever at all as an option, even though it was legally available to me, because these were people I'd given my word to. And I said, I don't have any money. You sue me. There's nothing there. But you give me time. I'm going to work away on that. And it took me 12 years to do that. But I, it just was to me was the only reasonable option. I've never regretted that. Could I have? somehow gotten back on top financially quicker. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't even think about it in those terms. I just knew it was the right thing to do. It had nothing to do with legalities or contracts. I just knew I'd given my word. And that was the only option I saw available. Well, and I've seen that path. It reminds me of our buddy, Scott Stearman, who got on a soapbox with me recently in regards to a uh, business dealing that, that went South. And he said uh, he wanted to give a speech and he was, it wasn't serious in essence, but I think he would do it on never, ever kind of a Churchill saying, you know, never, ever, 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 ever burn a bridge, never burn. And I saw that in you, that in that integrity and character, you never did your word is your bond. And I also saw that pay off, um, which is why you have it in here. People who have succeeded, these are the qualities that they have Dad, thank you so much. Um, folks again, 48 days.com go there. And you can sign up for his newsletter, which is is incredibly uh, well known and highly read. Uh, you can go to if you go to iTunes, forty eight days, put that in there and get on the podcast. If you're not there, subscribe for that thing. 
Um, dad, thank you so much for taking your time and, uh, sharing and for building so much of these qualities into, into me. Uh, I will be forever grateful. Well, thanks. Hey, these discussions are absolute delight for me just to reflect back on the things that have allowed us both to experience great lives, great relationships, deep relationships with family and others. So it's always a pleasure, Kevin. I'm honored to be your guest again today. Well, hey, thank you, folks. Thanks for tuning in. It's an honor to be with you in this journey towards inspiring our true performance. I'll be back with you in the next Ziegler Show. 